Welcome to another Growth Masters Federal podcast with your host, Shirley Collier, president and founder of Scale to Market. Scale to Market helps businesses think, plan, collaborate, and prosper in the federal marketplace by developing and executing comprehensive, customized, data-driven business development playbooks. Experienced contractors are well aware that developing proposals in the federal sector is extraordinarily expensive and time-consuming. Learning that your bid was not successful or that your successful bid has been challenged by a competitor can be a real blow to a company. And the question that must be quickly asked and answered is, should we protest or should we actively participate in defending our contract? If we decide in the affirmative, do we need a lawyer? Do we file with the agency, the GAO, or the Court of Federal Claims? How long do we have to file? How much will it cost and what are our chances of winning? In today's discussion, Ryan Bradle, a government contract lawyer with Ward and Barry, takes apart the decision-making process and brings to light the many issues and answers surrounding this complex topic. And now here's your host, Shirley Collier, with her guest, Ryan Bradle. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone. Shirley here. Our topic today is one that not very many people want to discuss until they are angry and feel that a procurement was unfair to them. I have a very special guest today who is extraordinarily knowledgeable about the bid protest process and implications. Ryan Bradle focuses his practice on government contracts litigation matters. He has successfully represented both protesters and interveners or awardees and bid protests before the Court of Federal Claims, the Government Accountability Office, or the GAO, and at the agency level, including at the Department of Defense, the Department of State, and the Department of Veterans Affairs. Welcome, Ryan. Thanks, Shirley. I'm very happy to be here. Ryan, is there anything else you would like to mention to our listeners about what you do for a living? Um, Sure. So I just have to say that that litigating bid protests is one of my favorite things to do as a government contracts lawyer. Uh, They're fast-paced, and they usually involve very interesting issues. So they're a lot of fun for me. But uh, I think most clients think that they're not so fun. It's sort of like having to go to the doctor or the dentist or, or to go get your car fixed. It's something you have to do, and it's good for you, but no fun. And I would say that the bid protest process is a business tool to have in your overall business toolkit. Yes, absolutely. Brian, let's start with the basics. What exactly is a bid protest? A bid protest is a challenge to the process that the agency is using or has used to award a contract. The federal government has very strict and detailed rules governing uh, how its contracts are to be awarded. Uh, These rules are largely encompassed in the uh, Federal Acquisition Regulation, or the FAR. But in addition to the FAR, there's a patchwork of other statutes and regulations which are applicable to the award of a government contract. And, of course, all these various rules have been developed and have evolved in the case law decisions by the tribunals which decide bid protests. So the purpose of the bid protest process is to ensure that the government awards its contracts fairly, without any bias, favoritism, or corruption, and to ensure that the government gets the best product or service for the price. So, to simplify it, the bid protest process is a checks and balances system to safeguard the integrity and the efficiency of the procurement system. That said, you know, the system sort of assumes 
the integrity of the government officials uh, making contract awards, you know, trying to show that the government was actually biased against a particular contractor is very difficult and almost never successful. Rather, bid protests are almost always focused on the technical mistakes that a government agency may have made in making the award. And what do you mean by technical mistakes? You know, technical mistakes can mean uh, anything from, you know, performing a flawed comparison of, of two contractors' proposals. It can be a mistake in the evaluation of the contractor's price buildup. It can be a mishandling of the negotiations that occur between the government uh, and the contractor during the contract competition. There's, there's very detailed rules that govern each of these steps that the government takes during the process. The point is, is, you know, the government sometimes just makes honest mistakes, and the bid protest process is there to call out those mistakes, uh, correct those mistakes, and, and keep the government honest. Why should a government contractor want to file a bid protest? Is it ever worth it financially? Yeah, it's, it definitely can be worth it financially. You know, the, the, the possibility of a protest of a procurement should be an important part of a contractor's um, overall capture strategy. There's a misconception that protesting a procurement will forever ruin the contractor's relationship with its desired customer, that is, the government agency. But this is really not the case, provided that the contractor uses the protest process sparingly and only when it's actually justified. But the reality is, is that some contracting officers will even grudgingly admit that they appreciate uh, how the bid protest process keeps them honest. So getting down to, to brass tacks for the, um, the protester, for the contractor, uh, can be beneficial to the contractor in, in several ways. Um, of course, the most obvious is, you know, if you win the protest and then ultimately win the contract, it's certainly going to be financially worth it in that case. But of course, this is a home run you know, winning the protest and then winning the contract, and it doesn't always occur. But even if you don't hit a home run with your bid protest, there can be other beneficial outcomes. For example, a pre-award protest, which is a protest of the solicitation terms or, you know, the ground rules for the competition, that can help shape the contract competition in a way that is uh, more advantageous to your company. A post-award protest which is what you do after you lose a contract competition, can provide valuable business intelligence beyond what is normally provided in a debriefing. It can help better prepare your company for the next contract competition. But going through the protest process, you can learn a lot about how the agency thinks and, um, learn, and what they're looking for and how to better prepare for your, uh, your next contract competition. And then the final reason why a bid protest might be beneficial is if you're in the incumbent, uh, protesting can buy you several weeks or even months of contract performance. And the revenue stream that goes along with it while the, the protest is being resolved. No one likes to admit this, this little fact that incumbents can buy more contract performance uh, via a bid protest, but it is the reality. And of course, you know, as a lawyer, you know, ethically, I would never encourage a frivolous protest just to buy more time if you're the incumbent. You know, you have to have solid grounds on which to protest. Now, Ryan, this is one of the biggest frustrations that I hear voiced by my small business clients, and that is that entrenched incumbents are not going to give up the contract easily, and that just delays the contract award. 
Um, yeah, that, that's right. That, that is a problem with the protest process. There have been many attempts to try to fix this problem and to try to discourage frivolous protests that are filed just to buy the incumbent a few more you know, weeks or months of performance. But it's, it's a really a difficult problem to completely solve. And the reality is it's just one of the, the costs of having a bid protest system. And, you know, the system really keeps the government honest. Small business, you know, needs to be prepared for a protest and the, the reality that that might happen after they win a contract award. So what are the most common bid protest grounds? Uh, what should I be looking out for if I want to consider protesting a bid? Yeah, sure. Um, the first, the, the far most common bid protest ground is an unreasonable technical evaluation. So, you know, when the agency fails to find the awardee's proposal unacceptable, or its technical proposal failed to satisfy the minimum requirements of the solicitation. Can you give us an example? Let's say the government uh, issues a solicitation for widgets. And the solicitation says that the widgets that the government wants must meet requirements A, B, C, and D. So contractor number one puts in a proposal to provide the widgets, and contractor one's proposal clearly shows that its widgets meet requirements A, B, C, and D. And then contractor two puts in a proposal, which shows that its widgets meet the requirements A, B, and C, but it's a little bit unclear whether the widget meets requirement D. So the government evaluates the proposals, and you know, maybe the government evaluator doesn't recognize or misses the fact that contractor two's proposal doesn't quite meet the standards for requirement D. So in that case, contractor number two's proposal should be found to be technically unacceptable. But let's just say, for example, the the government doesn't find contractor two's proposal technically unacceptable. Instead, it finds it acceptable. And because contractor two has a lower price, the government will pick contractor two as the winner. In this case, contractor number one should protest that the government made a mistake in not recognizing that contractor number two's proposal did not fully meet requirement D, and therefore that contractor two should not have been awarded the contract. So, Ryan, how do I, as a proposer, know that another vendor's proposal did not meet the government's specifications? probably won't know conclusively. Um, Protests are typically based on well-formed hunches, based on the protester's knowledge of the industry and its competitors' business capabilities, or sometimes on information gleaned from the debriefing, you know, if if there is a debriefing. So to continue the example that I just gave with, with the widgets, contractor number one knows that they have a widget that meets A, B, C, and D, but they know that their competitor, contractor number two, has not quite yet been able to figure out how to produce a, a widget that meets requirement D. So if contractor number two gets the contract, um, contractor number one may say, wait a second, we thought number two didn't know how to make a widget that meets requirement D yet. So contractor number one will file a protest saying, you know, we have information that suggests that contractor two can't meet this requirement. Um, so it's, it's a bit of a hunch. But what happens next in the bid protest process is that the government will file an agency report which defends the government's award decision and includes all the documents on which uh, the government's award decision was based. 
And that agency report will show whether or not contractor number two could actually meet requirement D. But the agency report is almost always filed under a protective order because it includes a lot of confidential and proprietary information uh, about the awardee. So, you know, in this case, contractor number two. So the protester itself usually does not get to see the agency report. It's really only the protester's attorney who gets to see the agency report. But based on information in the agency report, the protester's attorney will be able to see whether or not contractor number two actually met the specifications and will be able to make arguments accordingly. And that's where it's good to know a little bit of competitive intelligence on your competitors. That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, So, Ryan, you mentioned unreasonable technical evaluation. What are some of the other grounds for a bid protest? Well, similar to an unreasonable technical evaluation, we often see protests of an unreasonable past performance valuation. So uh, one example of this would be when the agency evaluated and considered the past performance of a contractor that was not proposed to do any portion of the work. So, for example, uh, you know, a team uh, puts in a proposal and one of the members of the team, you know, was not uh, listed as, you know, doing any significant portion of the work, but nonetheless, the agency still relied on that team member's past performance evaluation in awarding the contract. That would be an example where of a government mistake that could be protested. Another example would be an unreasonable cost or price evaluation. So, for example, in a lot of solicitations, the government requires itself to conduct a price realism determination, and the government has to evaluate and demonstrate that the awardee's low price is consistent with its technical approach. How does a contractor know that the agency has failed to conduct a price realism determination? In that case, you know, the, the devil's really in the details, and you have to take a very close look at the awardee's price proposal to determine um, whether it would be technically possible for the awardee to perform uh, at the price that it offered. So describe some of the other common bid protest grounds. Another one would be inadequate documentation of the record. So, for example, there was one case where the agency's record was so limited that it was unclear whether the task order that was issued at issue in the protest was even within the scope of the underlying contract. So that's just one example, but generally the agency has to document every step in its decision-making process. The last one that I would mention would be a flawed best value trade-off. As you know, a lot of agencies are using best value trade-offs to make their award decisions. And so, for example, there was a case where the agency's best value trade-off relied entirely on the adjectival ratings that were assigned to the respective proposals. And when making the trade-off, the agency didn't look at the specifics of the respective proposals and instead just relied on the adjectival rating. So give me an example. Yeah, well, to, to get more you know, specific about that, um, you know, when the government is performing a best value trade-off, it's not allowed to rely solely on the adjectival ratings. It has to look at the details of the respective solutions offered by the contractors 
and make a determination whether those respective you know advantages or disadvantages in each of the proposals is commensurate with the price. Let's go back to the widget example. Let's say in the the prior widget example where there was requirements A, B, C, and D, and in that example, you know, contractor number two, it was a little bit unclear whether they could meet requirements D, but but nonetheless, they were both given an adjectival rating of good for the technical merits of their respective widgets. But let's say contractor number one's widget had a few unique features that made it a better fit for the government's needs, but it was also a slightly higher price. So in this example, the government chose contractor number two, you know, thinking that the widgets were equivalent, right? They both got a good adjectival rating. They chose number two because number two is a lower price. But if the government didn't at least consider the advantages, the unique benefits of contractor number one's widget, then that would be a failure by the government that would be protestable. Now, there's nothing ultimately wrong with the government deciding that the unique benefits of contractor number one's widget were not worth the higher price. But if it makes that determination, it must explain why the advantages of contractor number one's widget were not worth the price. So let's talk about tactics here. How does a contractor actually file a protest? Is a lawyer required? Well, there are three uh, you know, forums where a contractor can file a bid protest. The first is with the agency itself, although I would discourage protests to the agency except in very specific cases because you know the agency just made the award decision. They're very unlikely to uh, reverse themselves. The second is by far the most common. I mean, this is where all of the bid protest activity happens, and that's with the Government Accountability Office or, or the GAO. There is a third option, and that's the Court of Federal Claims. And as the name suggests, it's a full-blown federal court with judges and all the trappings of a court. Technically, you do not need a lawyer um, to file uh, an agency-level protest or to file a protest at the GAO. Because it's a federal court, you do need a lawyer to file a bid protest at the Court of Federal Claims. Now, while a lawyer is not required uh, for the agency-level protest or a GAO protest, using a lawyer is highly encouraged. And here's why. Um, As I discussed above, bid protests are often conducted under a protective order so as to protect the awardee's confidential and proprietary information. The system doesn't want to allow a protester to sort of see behind the curtains and understand all of their competitors' information just because they're filing a protest. So they conduct protests under protective order, and only the protester's lawyer is allowed to see all of this detailed confidential information, and the protester's lawyer cannot then pass that information on to the protester. So because of this protective order system, It can be very difficult to litigate a bid protest without an attorney that is able to view the documents under the protective order. Hmm. Another reason that I would mention why it's important to have a lawyer is that each of these forums has its own unique uh, set of rules, which can be rather arcane and which are usually very stringently enforced, especially with regard to deadlines. I can't tell you the number of times I've, I've had a client come to me for help with their bid protest that they filed on their own, but it's been kicked out uh, because of some technicality. And often by the time they contact me, it's already too late. 
Now, that said, I, I understand that cost is often a deterrent to small contractors who would like to file a bid protest. I mean, of course, you know, lawyers, we, we can't work for free. Um, uh, this is how we make a living. And so, you know, a bid protest can cost you know, anywhere between, you know, $5,000 on the, on the low end, although that's, that's very low. Typically, they're much more expensive, usually closer to about $50,000 or more, depending on the, the circumstances. So it is an expensive proposition. But I will say that most good lawyers that I know We'll give you a free consultation and we'll help you evaluate the strength of your potential bid protest and give you honest advice about whether the filing the protest is worth it. That's so important to find an attorney that's knowledgeable of the reality of the protest process and to give you good advice up front before you spend a lot of money. Yep, that's exactly right. We need to take a break. My guest is attorney Ryan Bradle of Ward Barry. When we come back, we'll talk about important deadlines that contractors should be aware of. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Today's discussion is brought to you by Scale to Market, and your host is Shirley Collier. Utilizing the proprietary Davey Business Development Growth Framework, Scale to Market partners with business owners and executives to achieve profitable and sustainable growth in the federal marketplace. Email Shirley at scollier at scaletomarket.com to obtain your copy of the Davy Growth Framework. Growthmasters Federal is a nationwide community of growth-oriented government contractors, their owners and executive teams, and the professionals who support them. The mission is to share experiences and discuss timely topics on planning and executing the most effective growth strategies in the complex, highly regulated but opportunity-rich federal marketplace. And now back to our podcast on the bid protest process, featuring Ryan Bradle, a government contract lawyer with Warden Barry, a Washington, D.C.-based law firm advocating for and representing business clients in civil litigation and complex government contracting issues. Welcome back. Ryan, before the break, you said that a good lawyer will let you know if you even have a chance of winning a protest so you don't spend money unwisely. Now, I understand that there are some important deadlines that a contractor should be aware of. What are those? The deadlines for an agency-level protest or a GAO bid protest, they're essentially the same. If you're going to file a pre-award protest of the terms of the solicitation, that just has to be filed before the deadline for the receipt of proposals. So that's pretty straightforward. For the post-award protest, in order for the agency or the GAO to hear the protest, the protest must be filed within 10 days of the date that the basis of the protest is known or should have been known. So this is usually the date of the contract award. Or in the cases where the procurement uh, has a required debriefing, within 10 days of the debriefing. Now, that's in order for them to hear the protest. There's also this concept of a stay of performance. And that's where, you know, if you protest, the government is not allowed to move forward with the award of the contract while the protest is being resolved. So in order to obtain that stay of performance, which is obviously a very critical benefit, the protest must be filed within five days of the debriefing. 
or 10 days of the contract award. The deadlines at the Court of Federal Claims are not nearly so tight. They, you know, a protest at the Court of Federal Claims can really be filed at any time. Um, although, if you have no good reason for why you waited, if you just were sitting around, well, then in that case, the court might throw your protest out. The other thing is at the Court of Federal Claims is, you know, if you don't file early, it's going to be a lot harder to get that stay of performance. But that said, at the Court of Federal Claims, there are no specific deadlines. So sometimes if a contractor misses its chance at the GAO, it, it can go to the Court of Federal Claims. So if I understand you correctly, you can file a protest with the GAO, and if you don't get the result you're looking for, you can file that same protest then with the Court of Federal Claims. Yes, that, that's exactly right. The Court of Federal Claims can be sort of like an appeals court uh, for, for GAO decisions. And of course, you can always just go to the Court of Federal Claims in the first instance. So why would a vendor go to the Court of Federal Claims first? Does it depend upon the size of the contract? No, it doesn't really depend on the, the size of the contract. The process of the Court of Federal Claims is quite a bit more expensive. So it usually doesn't make sense to go to the Court of Federal Claims for smaller contracts. The main reason you would want to go to the Court of Federal Claims is because under the court's rules, you get access to a much broader range of documents. At the court, the agency has to provide the entire file on the procurement, every document that was used or relied upon or generated uh, during the procurement process. At the GAO, the agency only needs to provide the documents that are specifically relevant to the grounds on which you protested. Agencies can be very stingy with their document production at the GAO, and the GAO is usually very reluctant to ask them to provide additional documents. So if you think that the procurement decision that you want to protest um, has, has more flaws in it than you can credibly support in your initial protest document, you know, you know there's something fishy going on, but you just don't quite have enough information to totally support a protest. You should go to the Court of Federal Claims because you will have access to the entire record and you might be able to find problems with the procurement process that you didn't even know about. Another reason to go to the Court of Federal Claims is that it might have more favorable precedence on a particular issue that you're protesting. So there might be some case where you have an issue where the law at the Court of Federal Claims is a little bit more favorable to you. And so, of course, in that case, you'll, you'll want to go there. So it sounds like it's important to have both the GAO and the Court of Federal Claims as options. But, uh, Ryan, I understand that one of the recommendations of the Section 809 panel that's looking at DOD acquisition practices is recommending that this double dipping be eliminated for procurements that are less than $15 million. Have you heard anything about that? Yeah, that's exactly right. But you never know. It, it, it would require an act of Congress, and um, you never know when, when somebody in Congress might get the idea that this should be eliminated. <laughs> well, we'll see. <laughs> g g yeah. Given the, uh, the, the gridlock in, in uh, Congress, I, I doubt that this will be taken up anytime soon. <laughs> I, I think that's right. Yeah. So, Ryan, let's look at the flip side of, of bid protest. Uh, what about intervening um, in a bid protest if you are the awardee? Is it, is it worth it? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, in such a case, the awardee, 
has the right to intervene in the bid protest. That means that the awardee has the right to be a party uh, to the bid protest and participate in the arguments and in, in, in the briefing. It's very important for an awardee to participate in this process to ensure that its rights are being protected. Participating as, as the intervener is typically less expensive than filing a bid protest because, of course, you know the government lawyers are defending the government's award decision. So you can usually just let the government do most of the work instead of your lawyer having to do all the work. But even if you're going to let the government do most of the work, it's still important to intervene and participate in the process to protect your award. And that's true for a variety of reasons. I'll just touch on a couple of the most important. First of all, you know, the agency's interests may not be the same as your company's interests, and your company is in the best position to protect and advocate for its own interests. Here's what I'm talking about. You know, an agency will most likely want to protect the award decision that it made to your company, but the agency's primary obligation is is to the law, to the rules, and, and ensuring fairness. And so the agency's interests are going to be a little bit broader than than yours if you're the awardee. If you're the awardee, you just want to make sure you keep the award. Well, the agency is going to look at things a little more broadly and objectively. And so, you know, they might decide that they're not quite as sure about their award decision as they initially thought. And so it's important for the awardee to participate in the process and try and uh, make sure that the agency um, does protect the award. How does this play out? Would you, as my attorney, be in touch with and strategize on our behalf with agency officials? Uh, yeah, that's exactly right. When I get a call from a client that says that they want a contract that's being protested, the first thing I do is I call the, the government's attorney and establish a rapport with the government's attorney and, and offer whatever help the government needs in terms of understanding the proposals at issue and understanding the solicitation process. And I would stay in touch with the government attorney throughout the process to, you know, ensure that, that we're on the same page which, with regard to the best arguments to be made. And, you know, depending on whether or not I thought it was necessary, I, you know, I may, as the attorney for the intervener, I might file my own brief and make arguments in favor of uh, my client, or I just might rely on the government's brief and allow the government to, to take the lead if I think that the government has the arguments right. So, Ryan, I interrupted you earlier. What are the other reasons I would want to participate in a process if I am the contract winner? Intervening will help your company better protect its confidential and uh, proprietary information that has become part of the record for the protests. It's important to protect that. So does that mean that the proposal materials that I marked confidential or proprietary may in fact be made public? Well, hopefully not. I mean, that's that's unlikely. And the GAO, who's handling the protest and, and the government, they're, they're usually pretty good about maintaining the confidentiality of some documents. Um, but you have to keep an eye on things and monitor the process because mistakes can always be made and confidential documents might be inadvertently released. Or the, the attorneys for the protester may violate the protective order regarding these confidential documents. Or there can be a dispute about exactly what is proprietary and confidential. The last reason that I'll mention about why it's important to be involved in the bid protest process is that the government usually has very good lawyers, but at the end of the day, it's, it's your award, and you want to make sure that you are bringing to bear the best arguments in favor of keeping your award. 
And I can say that as a former federal contractor myself, and having been involved in both issuing protests and my awards being the objects of protest, it's not a passive process. And only you and your counsel will have your best interest in mind. And besides, the other side is also lawyered up, right? (laughs) Yeah, no, that's exactly right. So, Ryan, as we close, what advice would you give small businesses as they contemplate their options for protesting a bid? Well, you know, I would say if if you lose an award, uh, lose a competition, I would say call your lawyer immediately because, as we discussed before, the deadlines move quickly, and it's important to get your lawyer up to speed right away. But I would also say, you know, take a little time before ultimately deciding whether to protest. You know, contractors pour their heart and soul into a proposal. They're often very emotional after they find out that their proposal was not selected. But it's important to make the decision to protest rationally, you know, based on solid grounds and not just protest out of emotion or anger. I I completely agree. My advice is always take at least 48 hours to absorb the news and discuss it with your team. And based upon what we discussed earlier, Ryan, um, you know, before you protest an award, gather objective, publicly available information so you're making a decision that's based upon facts, not on exhaustion or frustration. And I want to amplify something you said earlier, and that is that losses are an incredible learning experience for your company if you evaluate the entire process objectively. What could we have done differently? Why was our competitor selected? And how will we use this information to improve our chances of winning next time? You know, these are not easy facts to face, but in my experience, high growth companies do this consistently. But if your analysis does uncover grounds to protest the procurement, I hope that you've picked up a few pointers today. Ryan, thank you so much for sharing your extensive knowledge on this important topic with our listeners. Thank you so much for having me, Shirley. I I really enjoyed it, and I uh, hope I can join you again soon. I hope so, too. Folks, if you want to get in touch with Ryan, he can be reached at rbradle at wardberry.com. That's R-B-R-A-D-E-L at W-A-R-D-B-E-R-R-Y dot com. Or you can reach out to us here at Skelta Market, and we'll make sure you're connected. This is Shirley Collier signing off for now. Thank you for joining us today. For more information on how to grow your business in the federal marketplace, visit our website at scaletomarket.com. That's scaled2market.com. And subscribe to the Growth Masters Federal Channel wherever you get your podcasts. Check out our webinar series on the Scale to Market website and join us again soon for another informative Growth Masters Federal podcast.